Good morning, Rimrock. Good morning. How are you today? Oh, that is kind of sad. How are you today? I am too. Whoever said tired down here? So if I nod off, somebody whistle or something. I'm just kidding. Guys, we're in Luke chapter 1 this morning, so find your way over to Luke chapter 1. We're in the middle of this, uh, well, we're, we're in the home stretch of this series, this Advent series called With God, and we're looking at the, the, the parts of Advent that stir in us an anticipation of Christ's coming. Now, in this season, we have in mind his first coming, but the point of this series has been to draw our eyes not towards his first coming, but towards his second coming. And those, that sense of anticipation that builds as we, uh, as we look forward to what God has in store, what God has in mind for us, and we're excited about that. Today, we're going to look at joy. And, uh, and so, uh, I want to start with this question, have you ever gotten news that just rocked your world, right? Have you ever gotten news that just rocked your world? Like um, the news that says, I'm pregnant, right? I'm expecting, not, it's not an announcement this morning. I'm just saying, like, yeah, that's the news, right? Does that news, that news like changes your future, right? That's good news. Ah, yay. It's a plus, right? It's a, yay. That's, you guys got to wake up. Is there, is there coffee out there or something? Yeah, good. Okay. How about this one? The adoption application has been accepted, right? You get news like that and you know life is never going to be the same again. How about this? She said yes. Right? Is that not a, right? That's kind of that moment, isn't it? Right? But you know life's about to shift. Have you ever gotten news that rocked your world? This is one of my favorite ones. On Fridays, I hear this. We're dead free. Now, isn't that news that rocks your world? How about this? You open the letter, you have 30 days until we foreclose. You get the phone call, there's been an accident. She didn't make it. Or when the doctor sits across from you and says, it's cancer. Have you ever gotten news that rocked your world? And you know that your future will never be the same. We're in Luke chapter one, 
And Luke introduces, right in the first chapter of his gospel, he introduces us to a girl who gets a message like that. Her name's Mary. Mary is young, 13, 14, 15 years old. She's single, but she's pledged to be married. So she's engaged, and in that culture, it's the same as being married, right? But they're not living together. And she's pregnant. Well, I mean, she's about to be pregnant. And she gets this visit from an angel. He didn't ask to come over. He just showed up. Have you had had guests like that? It's about 50-50 whether that's good news or not. But the angel shows up and he gives this message to Mary and he says, you are highly favored. And God's about to do something crazy in your life. And he explains it. He says, this is what's going to happen. And Mary's response, in verse 38, Mary's response, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. If that is not a statement that flows out of her faith, I don't know what is. I mean, in the glow of the angel, and her response is, yes. It's a beautiful thing. It's a statement that's full of faith, and it's honest. I don't think you lie to an angel. You know? I don't think you're going to fool him. It's honest, and it's beautiful. And then we go to the next verse. In verse uh, 39 of Luke chapter 1, and in the New Living Translation, it says, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived, and she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. Why? Why the road trip? Because in the midst of the message, Mary, you're going to have a baby, in the midst of the message, the angel, God, gives Mary something that she didn't ask for. He gave her a sign that what he promised to her or what he said to her was really going to come true. Mary had, okay, so the angel says to her, you're going to have a baby. And, and Mary, hmm, she has a question about the biology. She's like, okay, I, I, point A Point B, I don't get how I get there. And so she asks. And the angel says, that's simple. For him, the Holy Spirit's going to take care of it. And you're going to be carrying God's son. But then he gives her a sign. She didn't ask for it, but he gives her a sign. And he says, you know, you know your relative, you know Elizabeth, you know she's old, you know she can't have kids. Yeah, she's six months pregnant, 
And Mary's response is full of faith. But you know, here's something that I've noticed. (sighs) Ladies get very excited when other ladies get pregnant. Have you noticed that? I mean, y'all have parties, right? You're like, ooh, and then you get together and you knit stuff and you, you know, whatever, whatever. I mean, you get very excited. Guys go, I gotta find something to do, (laughs) right? But ladies, you get very excited. And so Mary gets the news, you're going to have a baby. Yay, and Elizabeth's gonna have a baby. Road trip! So Mary goes from Galilee and Nazareth in Galilee up north in the country, and she travels three to four days, 50, 60, 70 miles south down to Judea to where Elizabeth lives. And she shows up. I have no idea if she sent word ahead, but this would be the 50% of the time that it was a good thing, right? Look at what happens in verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me? So soon As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I love it. That word blessing, that that word blessed that um, Elizabeth uses, she says blessed. Blessed means specially privileged because of God's favor. Here's Elizabeth saying, girl, God's about to do something big in your life. Buckle up. But it's because you are favored. You are favored. Now, when I started, uh, when this, you know, Ben asked me to preach this message, and I, I'm, I'm familiar with the story. But here was the thing that struck me. That when Gabriel gives the announcement to Mary, you're going to have a child. You're going to carry God's son. She responds in faith, yes. Let everything that you said be true. Yes. And it was a statement of faith. But now here's the thing that struck me. Now, Mary has had three, four, five days to think about what that announcement's really going to mean in real life. You know what I mean? So if there was going to be a moment where she was like, yay, this might be the moment. She has had time to think about the consequences of the announcement. And the consequences weren't small. In that culture, according to Jewish law, a, a, a girl who was promised or pledged or engaged to be married, 
if she got pregnant before they were married and living together, if she got pregnant, by law, her fiancé could divorce her and then she would be taken outside the city and stoned. If she was pregnant by him, he was bound to either marry her or if he refused to do that, then they would both be taken out of the city and stoned. Those are some big consequences. Apart from the law, she could also anticipate that in this culture, a, a shame culture, that being married or being pregnant before she was married would bring shame on her family and most directly on her. And she came from the town of Nazareth, which was not very big. I mean, it was tiny. In fact, in Greek, there's no word for town. It was village or was city. And Luke was being kind and said city, but it's really town. It, it was not very big, right? It was... Um, what happens to juicy gossip in a little town? I... I think it's fair to guess that uh, in the couple of days that it took Mary to get out of town and to head south to see Elizabeth, word was going. And certainly by the time she got back, three months later, uh, everybody knew. And, and what did that look like? You know, Mary would go to the market and there would be the, the looks, there'd be the whispers, There'd be the rumors and the stories. Because how many people were buying her story? Oh, don't worry about it. It was the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, some of you might think, well, I mean, okay. I mean, so, okay. So she's gone for three months. She comes back. She's in her hometown about six months, not quite six months, because then they travel back, and he's actually born in Bethlehem. I mean, she could kind of deal with it for nine months, don't you think? I mean, it's going to be rough, but she could deal with it for nine months. So once the baby's born, eh, you know, no more stories. Uh-uh. Because when Jesus is born, people don't look at him and go, oh, you're right, he is the son of God. Ha <laughs> ha, you were telling the truth. Mm -mm. Nobody bought that. So that announcement that Gabriel made to Mary shifted her reality in her hometown. Understand. There would always be rumors, there would always be stories, there would always be suspicion, there would always be whispering. Her reputation was ruined. Now the reason that I pause so long on this is because we have to see that reality. in order to really appreciate 
Mary's response to Elizabeth four or five days after the initial announcement. Here's what she says. Verse 46, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Do you see what she does? She immediately praises God. She immediately praises God for being her salvation and for exalting her, for lifting her up. I love this phrase that she says, all generations will call me blessed, but not because of what she did, but because of what God did in her. Mary immediately begins praising and worshiping God. Look in verse 49. She continues, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Look, that she glorifies God for these character traits that never change in him. He is powerful, he is holy, and he has great mercy. In fact, his power and his Whole in his holiness are offset. They are balanced by his great mercy. I love this phrase that she says, he has done great things for me. Do you see her perspective? I am gonna worship God because of who he is. And I'm gonna trust God because of what he has done for me. And then she finishes. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in him in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Look at what she's doing. Mary has her eyes firmly fixed on the God who never changes. The God who has been instrumental in changing Israel's status, in the, in the, has changed Israel's position all through history. He has raised up those who are humble. He has torn down those who are proud. He has fed and provided for the hungry. He changes realities for people. And that's the God that Mary turns her face towards. That's the God that she has her eyes fixed on. And it's as much a statement of faith as her first statement. But Mary is realizing that the God that did that for Israel is doing that for her and will continue to do that for her. And here's the beautiful thing. That God is our God. 
It's my favorite part about looking at Old Testament and reading and studying the Old Testament, that when I see those ways that God moves and I can say, that is the same God that I worship. It's the same God whose spirit lives in me and lives through me. Same God. It's a beautiful truth. So even though God's purpose and his mission for Mary is going to hurt her reputation and bring ridicule and shame, she responds with joy. And it leads me to ask this question, how can that be? How can that be? You know, we get a, we get a clue about this in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You know what I love about that verse? It's, a little, it's, it's kind of circular, isn't it? May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace through believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may, be, you may abound in hope. It's a little circular. It's like, where does that start? Where does that end? And where do I fit? I'll tell you where you fit, right in the middle of it. What that verse says to me is, you know what? God is doing this. It's, it's not about us. But God wants to live his life through us. And in the process, we get joy and we get peace and we get a sense of hope. Because it's God that's living in us through his spirit. You know, when I teach kids and I try to explain this concept of joy, and I find that that's tough sometimes. So, I, so what I do with kids is I try to put it against uh, something that's contrasting and something that they can kind of get. I, I understand this, and so there's a contrast, and maybe I can uh, help them to understand joy. And here's how I explain it. I say, um, the, sometimes we think about joy and happiness being the same thing, when in reality, they're a contrast. Now, sometimes we use those words interchangeably, right? Um, but they're really, they're really a contrasting idea. And here's why. I talk with kids about this. I say, happiness depends on what happens around us, right? Our circumstances. What's happening in my life right now, and, and if it's good, it often produces happiness, right? Now, being the season that we're in, here's an example for you. Um, the kids that are here this morning will certainly identify with this, but in a couple of days, you're gonna get up in the morning, you're gonna go into the room with the big bush, right? And paper's gonna fly, and the boxes will be opened, and prizes will be what, taken out of the boxes. I don't, I don't have a good word for that, I should've. I didn't write that down. The point is, if it's what I asked for, if it's what I really, really want, it produces happiness, right? Yay, I'm happy. 
because of what happened. I got what I wanted or what I asked for or whatever. It works that way with adults too. Maybe not on Christmas morning. Maybe not. Unless you really like socks and other really practical things, right? It, it may not work that way at, at Christmas, but, but, but it works for us too. Happiness is influenced by what happens, right? I get the raise. I get the promotion. I get the Christmas bonus. Yay! And I'm happy, right? Here's one, parents. My kids behave when I go to the store and I'm happy, right? It's the thing that happens and it's a good thing and woo, and I'm happy because of what happened. I get recruited to work in children's ministry and I'm, okay, bad example. So <laughs> let's talk about joy. That comes when you serve in children's ministry, right? The contrast, it's not necessarily what's happening, but joy is the contrast. Why? Why? Because happiness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It is produced by God. God is the one who brings and gives us Joy, And here's the statement, here's the thing that I want you to hold on to. It's the thesis for the message. Joy is, con is constantly available to the believer. Joy is constantly available to the believer. It is always available. That's what constantly means. Always available. It's always available. Because it's produced by God, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what's going on in our life, what's going on around us, regardless of all that, joy is available. It's constantly available for the believer. It's the only way that Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, in all of our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. In the circumstance that cannot produce happiness, great joy can come because it's produced by God, because it comes from them. And here, Mary and Paul could experience joy in those uncertain and in those very difficult times because they knew the God who never changes. That God of great mercy and kindness and faithfulness, they had their eyes on him. And because they had their eyes on him, Mary could say, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's how she could give that answer. because she had her eyes on the Father. God doesn't change. He doesn't change. 
which means the joy that's a, that was available to Mary and the joy that was available to Paul is available to us today. He never changes. Yesterday, today, and forever. Doesn't change. This week, uh, ben, Pastor Ben shared with um, staff a letter from a, a Chinese uh, pastor, Christian, who uh, just recently was uh, arrested and several of the people in his congregation were detained by police. His, his future is uncertain, but uh, he, he had a sense that that was coming. And so he wrote a letter and he gave it to some of the people in his church and he said, I want you to share the letter if I'm, if I'm held for more than 48 hours. I want you to published the letter. And so the letter was published, and it's fabulous. It's worth your time. I'm going to share one paragraph, but the same sentiment is repeated four or five times in the letter. But let me share what Pastor Wang had to say. He wrote this. He said, I accept and I respect the fact that this communist regime has been allowed by God to rule temporarily. As the Lord's servant John Calvin said, wicked rulers are the judgment of God on a wicked people. Catch this part. The goal being to urge God's people to repent and to turn toward him. For this reason, I am joyfully willing to submit myself to their enforcement of the law as though submitting to the discipline and the training of the Lord. Joy is not dependent on our circumstances. But joy comes when we keep our eyes focused on the God who never changes. Joy is constantly available to the believer. But there are some of you today who are listening to that statement and you say, in your, in your mind, you're saying, in your heart, you're saying, my experience doesn't match that truth. I don't always feel joy. So I'm not sure that it's true. Because my experience says joy is not constantly available. And my prayer today my prayer today is that you would be able to trust not what I'm saying but that you would be willing to trust the God who never changes. That you would be willing to look at the example of a girl who faced an uncertain future. And the only way that she faced it with joy was to know that the God that she was Trusting 
It was the same God who had showed up in history over and over and over and over. And she trusted that he would show up for her as well. This time of year is hard for a lot of people. Life is hard. Loss, illness, depression, hurts, aches. And it seems like the holidays just stir all that up. And for some of us, we have a hard time saying, I believe that joy is constantly available. But the key to it, for Mary, for Paul, for Pastor Wang, the key to it is to keep our eyes on the Father. To keep our eyes on the Father. When we have our eyes on the Father, that joy can flow right into our life. When we change our focus and we begin to look at our circumstances, the happenings, the, the hardship in life, it's like the tap gets turned off. The key to it is to keep our eyes on the Father who never changes. So if you'll allow me, let me be really, really practical right here at the end. How, how can we keep our eyes on the Father? It's so hard. There are so many distractions. It is so difficult. But here are some things that I have found helpful. I don't do it well. I mean, I, I won't even say I don't do it well all the time. I don't do it well. But here are some things that for me have been helpful. And perhaps they will be helpful for you too. Sing. I don't mean karaoke. That's not what I mean. And if you can't sing, that's okay. Music. God has done something with music that it resonates, it sticks in us. And so please find music that plants the truth in you that God is the provider of all good things and that he will put joy in our hearts. But listen to good music. That's a pretty easy one. Like, Find a radio or, you know, yeah, you can do that. But music, whew, it helps, it helps us, it helps to turn our face towards the Father. Here's another one. Memorize scripture. Why? I have it in a book. I have it on my phone. I can pull it up in an instant. Why? Why memorize? Because there are times when we memorize scripture, the Holy Spirit can use it. And it is so cool how that happens that the Holy Spirit can bring truth to our minds or, or what has settled in our hearts. And he, he brings our faces back to that. Turns our face right back to the Father because of the truth that we know. Now, some of y'all will say, eh, I, don't, I don't memorize stuff. I'm with you. I struggle too. So let's put number one and number two together, and then we have a fighting chance. So we want to do music that also is God's word, and it will stick, and it is a beautiful thing. So let me give you a tool that we have found in our family to be very, very helpful. 
seeds, family, worship. It's three words, seeds, like the seeds that you would plant in your garden. Seedsfamilyworship.com, easy. But if you go to seedsfamilyworship.com, you can listen to every song that they have written. And it is music, really good music, with God's word as the lyrics, straight up. No extras, no fluff, nothing like that, straight up. And I will tell you, one of the greatest joys in my life is to listen to my son, 16, wander around the house singing God's word because that stuff has found a place and it's found a, a root in his heart. It's one of the best ways for us to take the truth of God's word and get it in us is to listen to it. So that's the first two. Here's another one. Here's another one. Be or stay in community with believers. Be with other believers. Because here's what happens. When we get depressed, when we get sad, when we get wounded and we get hurt, our, our, our desire, our instinct is to pull away from other people. But let me tell you, we can stay in community with other believers those people who are not carrying the burden that we are carrying can see the Father's face clearly and can help turn our faces towards the Father and say, that's, that's it. That's it. That's the truth. That's, that's the Father who's working on your behalf. Keep your eyes there. We are not designed to walk on our own. We need the community of believers around us. And here's the last one. Make your prayers full of thanksgiving and praise. Guard against your prayers being all about me, my circumstances, and my problems, but turn those prayers to thanksgiving and praise. Look for any, anything in your day that you can give praise and thanksgiving to the Father for. Anything that you can, little bitty things, and yes, latch onto it because it helps turn our face towards the Father when we're giving thanks and we're praising him for the things that we run across in our day. There are others and probably some that are better. Those are the ones that I have found to be helpful. I want to close with this story and then we're done. I got an email a few weeks ago from a, a friend of mine named Jenna. Uh, Jenna is the, uh, the director of Family Time Training. Family Time is uh, any time that, that we give out uh, object lessons and activities, which reminds me there are some in, out here. Um, pick one up on your way home. It's something that we're giving to parents to be able to uh, plant the seeds of truth in your kids' lives. Almost all of the activities that we get are from this ministry, family time training. Anyway, I got an email from Jenna a couple weeks ago. And she was letting us know that her 13-year-old son, Eli, was diagnosed and is in the, the midst of battling a lymphoma. And so I'm, I'm on the Caring Bridge uh, page this morning, just kind of catching up on her updates. 
And I want to read the, the note that Jenna posted on December 17th. This is what she wrote. Exodus 14, 14 says, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. She said, As parents, we're trying to live this out and encourage Eli to believe this important truth too. He has more anxiety about this coming cycle of chemo, knowing what it was like the first time. She said, when we talked to him about it last night, Eli quoted scripture to me. He says, who by worrying can add a single moment to his life? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Jenna says, and he's learning to lean on this truth even when his circumstances give every reason to disregard this truth and only believe in his own experience. She closes, be encouraged, friends, in your own worrying and suffering. Be still. The Lord will fight for you. Turn your face towards the Father because joy is constantly available for the believer. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for today. And thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the demonstrations over and over and over again that you, that you fight for your people. You fight for your children, that you stand with us. Father, that you are the God of mercy and the God of power and God, you're so good. Father, would you today, would you today, please, Father, would you today turn our faces and our hearts towards you that we could receive from you all the things that you want to pour out in our lives, your peace, your joy, your grace. Father, help us to keep our eyes focused on you. We love you. And we ask this because we need it. We're desperate for it. And we trust you. Amen.